Welcome, fans of the Justice League universe. My name is Sam. This podcast analyzes the DC films from Warner Brothers Studios. Our analysis is written by myself, with Alessandro Maniscalco, Rebecca Johnson, Sidney, and Nick Begovich. You can find us all on Twitter, and you can also follow the show at JLU Podcast. In this episode, we are going to break down scene four of Justice League, which is our first scene with Wonder Woman in the film as she saves the day in London. This scene follows the World Without Superman montage in scene three, and it adds on to that same idea, also mentioned by the criminal in scene two, that the world is drifting into negativity, anger, and violence after the death of Superman. Our view of this descent is not just that Earth lost its primary protector and inspiration, emboldening some bad actors, but that there is also a general feeling of hopelessness, because if something good and pure can be taken away in an instant, then what's the point? The death of a prominent figure like Superman can lead to at least a temporary surge in feelings of depression, frustration, or even anarchy amongst the population. And although Superman sacrificed himself at the end of Batman v Superman, it was really Lex Luthor's concerted efforts that put him in that dangerous position in the first place. So in that sense, the death of Superman was a successful assassination carried out by Luthor. And so we can look to research on the actual fallout of assassinations to inform our interpretation of the world's reaction to Superman's death. A research summary compiled by the Combating Terrorism Center at West Point contains a few points that are relevant for us. First of all, assassinations tend to have profound political effects, but the effects are not necessarily predictable. In some cases, the assassination of a leader really sets back the causes that that person fought for. This was the case following the deaths of Itzhak Rabin in Israel and John F. Kennedy in the United States. But in other cases, assassinations become sort of like a martyrdom that spurs the causes forward and increases positive sentiment, as occurred for the civil rights movement after the killing of Martin Luther King Jr. and for the Pakistan People's Party after the killing of Benazir Bhutto. Bringing this idea over to Superman, we can see why Lex was so set on defaming Superman and turning public sentiment against him before killing him. Because Lex, always mindful of contingencies, wanted to make sure that Superman's death was a blow to the whole idea of metahumans, and not something that elevated him to sainthood. Now back in our analysis of scene one of Justice League, we talked about how it seemed at the end of Batman v Superman that Lex had failed. With the monument all around us and the candlelight vigil, it seemed that people were responding with genuine sadness and then newly clarified affection for Superman. So in that sense, Lex's plan seemed to have backfired. But in keeping with the complexity of this cinematic universe, it makes sense that there would not just be one simple universal response to Superman's death. There would be a multifaceted reaction differing for different people, and having nuance at the personal, municipal, national, and international levels. So it's not that Justice League, by showing the negativity and anger, was contradicting the hope at the end of Batman v Superman. It's just that the world is complex enough for both to be true at the same time, or for an initial feeling of sorrow and admiration immediately after Superman's death to give way to more general negativity as people get accustomed to life in his absence, and they see how some people are taking advantage of Superman being dead, so the negativity could come afterward. Another thing that the West Point Summary on Assassinations points out that is relevant for the Justice League universe is that the effect of the assassination of political leaders is much more profound in authoritarian regimes than it is in democracies. This is because authoritarian regimes hinge much more directly on single leaders, 
and there is often no clear line of succession because the supreme leader is intending to serve for life, or at least to hand-pick a successor. So the supreme leader getting killed unexpectedly really throws all of that into turmoil. But in democracies, the effect of assassinations is more contained, because there is a constitutional line of succession, and political power is diffuse across parties and coalitions, rather than just held by one person. Now, obviously, Superman was not an elected official, but we can still think about the broader context for Superman and whether that situation was more like an authoritarian regime or a democracy. Superman never actually became the tyrant from the nightmare scene, at least not yet, so he was not an authoritarian ruler. But he was basically the only metahuman out in public for the time span from Man of Steel through most of Batman v Superman. So in that sense he was the sole metahuman superhero, and so there was no line of succession that would be visible to the public. In private, Bruce Wayne pledged to be a successor, and he tried to talk to Diana about joining him in that cause and finding other metahumans. But as far as the general world was concerned, Superman was the sole superhero, so it makes sense that losing him would be profoundly disorienting and strike a negative blow for the general public morale. At the time of Superman's death, there was not yet a democracy or an institution of shared responsibility among metahumans. So the research suggests that the outcome would be kind of like we see here in the opening scenes of Justice League, that there would be a profound negative effect and a feeling of hopelessness or turmoil because of the loss of the sole metahuman. But throughout this movie, we will see that metahuman institution arise, led by Bruce and Diana based on the inspiration of Superman's example. And then Bruce and Diana are joined in leadership eventually by Superman himself. This means that going forward, post-Justice League, there will be more stability, and both the heroes and the public will be better able to absorb and deal with tragedies than they could before. Alright, let's get into more of the details of Scene 4. One of the really nice things about this scene is that it is not only the introduction of Wonder Woman in this film, but it also offers many strong connections between Justice League and the Wonder Woman film from the previous summer. In this way, there are some very cohesive links between the two DC films that were released in 2017. Here are some of the connections that we saw, and this is just thinking about scene four from Justice League connecting back to the Wonder Woman film. First of all, it's obvious but still worth mentioning, just the presence of Wonder Woman portrayed by Gal Gadot is a direct link to the Wonder Woman film with audiences only having to wait a few months to see her back on the big screen. The Wonder Woman film featured early 20th century London, and now we get to see her in modern-day London. This also continues the trend of Diana being in famous locations. There was the Louvre and the Tower Bridge from Wonder Woman, and now Justice League places her at the Old Bailey, the central criminal court of England. More specifically, Wonder Woman is high above the cities, in her first shot here in Justice League, she's up high on Lady Justice, and this nicely picks up from where we last saw her in Wonder Woman, which was soaring above the city of Paris. Those are some contextual connections. There are also visual connections, with both movies early on featuring a big vehicle that pulls up to a fancy building, and then a man with a briefcase getting out to enter the building. In Wonder Woman, it was the Wayne truck uh, with what turned out to be a personal photograph for Diana, whereas in Justice League, it's a van and a much more nefarious briefcase. But in both scenes, the shots are framed to emphasize the briefcase, even kind of over the men themselves in terms of framing. 
In terms of action, there was Diana busting through a window in Wonder Woman, and now she's busting through a door in Justice League. In both films, Diana protects innocent people from men who are seeking to spread destruction. Uh, she protects the people of Veld in Wonder Woman, and then it's the children on the field trip here in Justice League. Another connection is that her musical theme is used here in Justice League, played by a string section of the orchestra rather than an electric cello, but the link is still there, and it's good to hear those previous themes um, used in Justice League whenever we can get them at least. And finally, at the end of this scene, the terrorist says, What are you? And Diana responds, A believer. Both of these lines connect to the Wonder Woman film. General Ludendorff said almost the same thing when he realized Diana's powers. What are you? And Diana's response about being a believer connects to the fact that belief is central to Wonder Woman. After all, it's not what you deserve, it's what you believe. And we know that she believes in love. So in just this one scene, we get several solid connections between Justice League and Wonder Woman. In terms of what this scene does overall for the Justice League film itself, it mainly contributes an early action scene, keeping an even balance between the two co-leads, Batman and Wonder Woman. We saw a small bit of action from Batman in his element on the rooftops of Gotham, apprehending a criminal and investigating a larger threat. And now we get a bit of action from Diana in her element, as a protector of the innocent in a major European city. And the tension and the action of this scene are both executed really well. And although it's a pretty self-contained threat that doesn't directly connect to the bigger plot related to Steppenwolf, it does connect to the state of the world following Superman's death, as we already mentioned. And there are also two quick links to themes that will be developed later in the movie. The terrorist here mentions holy fear, and Diana talks about being a believer. Both of those are key words that are going to thread through uh, future scenes. But let's go through this whole scene in a bit more detail. The beginning starts out on a really nice transition from the end of the Everybody Knows montage. That previous scene had been showing different cities around the world. And then they end on a wide shot of London with a banner mourning the loss of Superman. And then the camera tracks right from that banner down to the white vans on the road. It's a smooth way to bring the audience from that scene into this one. And we are immediately curious about those white vans. So they cut to the vans pulling up, and we can tell right away that this is a formidable group coming out of the vans. They are very confident and organized in what they are doing. Even though they're going up against a secure location, the Old Bailey High Court, they operate and carry themselves as if they own the place. There are several armed guards, but the terrorists are prepared and are so proactive, they immediately have the upper hand and make it to the center of the building with relative ease. And it's clear right away that they're not robbing the place, given that they go in with guns blazing. This inevitably garners the attention of the authorities quickly, and that's the last thing you would want if performing a heist. So this is clearly some sort of terrorist attack, and that does make it kind of strange that they are careful with the children and some of the other bystanders. If the ultimate goal is to eventually blow them up, why are they so careful with them initially? But perhaps it's because the whole crowd will be easier to manage if they are huddled in fear. And so the terrorists just gather those hostages together up against the wall. Whereas if they had like just shot people freely from the beginning, that would result in more chaos and the terrorists might lose some of the control of the situation. The main guy does say, after all, that they should keep the kids quiet. So he wants a bit of order, and he wants the room in control so that he can carry out the next part of their plan. The first sequence in this scene was filmed in a very interesting way. There was consistent momentum going forward and in. A lesser director would have probably stopped out front to show the first part, 
and then shifted the camera to the inner checkpoint and stopped there for a moment, and then shifted to the inside. Instead, Zack Snyder had consistent camera movement and blocking of the characters, always going forward and in. That movement brings more emphasis and anticipation to what's going to happen when they get to where they're going, which is where the terrorist eventually puts down the briefcase. Right when he sets down the briefcase, that's when the camera movement stops. And then it cuts to another stable shot on the faces of the women and children who are being lined up against the wall. So we can feel in the energy of the scene that it's bringing us in and it's all culminating in this point where the stuff is going to go down. There were also some unique camera angles used in the first part of the scene, rather than just basic coverage. And there were deliberate shots that set us up for other shots later in the scene. For example, back when the van was pulling up, there's a stone statue of a woman overlooking the events. And later we will see the actual Wonder Woman overlooking the events as well. And as the terrorists are taking the building, there's an extreme upward shot of the main guy. It not only shows the fancy and recognizable ceilings of the old Bailey building, but it sets us up visually for the later upward shots when Wonder Woman arrives in the building. Alessandro pointed out that the start of this scene reminds him of the opening bank robbery from The Dark Knight. Perhaps there was some inspiration there, as Zack Snyder and Christopher Nolan are friends and have collaborated in the past. And the white vans are kind of like the one that Scarecrow used at least once in The Dark Knight, too. So anyway, the first part of the scene ends with the children in obvious danger, and the main terrorist tips his hat out the window at somebody. I'm not sure who he's tipping it at, maybe the police, in which case his nod toward them confirms that they are not doing a stealthy robbery or anything, they actually want the attention of the police. Or he may be nodding to a member of his team who just happens to be outside coordinating events, you know, on another building or something. But anyway, that look outside of the building, it transitions us back outside, And then we get the sweeping shot of the Lady Justice statue, with the scales of justice very fitting for a Justice League film. And then it pans over to Wonder Woman, perched atop the statue, holding onto the sword. For Brits, this is an especially iconic shot because that is a famous statue for them. It's sort of like when American movies feature characters on the Statue of Liberty. And for Diana, it's not just a cool visual, but it's especially meaningful because as a superhero, she is a character that often stands explicitly for justice. But she, more than other superheroes, is often willing to use violence in the pursuit of justice. For example, in the comic books, there have been some stories where other heroes aren't willing to kill the villains, but Diana will do so if it means stopping the violence or ending the threat to innocent lives. And perhaps this is why she is standing on the side of the statue with the sword, not on the side with the scales. It even foreshadows what's coming in this scene, her imminent battle with the terrorists when she is willing to achieve justice through violence. Now that we've seen Diana, we know a bit more what to expect from this scene. Before now, the first time you're watching this movie, it's not clear whose terrain this is going to be, or if a superhero was even going to be there at all. Maybe this is just going to be a tragedy, and then it's the aftermath of this scene that's going to play into the plot. But now that we've seen Diana, we know that this is going to be a rescue scene featuring Wonder Woman. The musical cue, with the famous minor thirds swelling in a crescendo, also let us know that we can expect some action from her. We cut from her looking down in concern to an upward shot of one of the terrorists. So that's a nice matching from looking down to looking up. And this, uh, this terrorist guy is in a high-ceilinged part of the building by himself. These upward shots, by the way, are the ones that were set up earlier, as we mentioned. And Wonder Woman, because we just saw her high up on the statue 
It flows nicely that she now comes into the building from the upper floors. Her lasso drops down around the guy, in a new use of the lasso that we haven't seen in film before, but it seems like a very comic booky type of move. The lasso then lights up and she pulls him up for some interrogation under the truth-telling influence of the lasso of Hestia. This is another element of the scene where it does a good job of quickly showing us some of Diana's powers and capabilities, as she demonstrates great arm strength, and she describes how the lasso compels the truth. And later we'll see some more of her physical powers and her bracelets. So using the lasso, she and we learn from the man that they are reactionary terrorists, and he says something about sin. She is initially concerned with the hostages, but he truly believes that it's too late for Wonder Woman to save them. And he talks about a countdown and a four-block radius being destroyed. So we get a sense of a time bomb, which is also a comic booky type of danger element. And it adds some tension to the scene as time becomes very important. And so hearing about the bomb, Diana shifts her attention to the bomb. So later that's going to be her first priority before she saves the hostages. And then this guy also adds the phrase, while the world watches, which emphasizes the terrorist's desire to draw attention to themselves. During this lasso scene, there's a borderline upskirt shot, but it's not egregious, and she did lift the guy up a great distance, and it's a very common practice in filmmaking to put the camera down low when you want to emphasize the height. So shooting someone from below like that also puts them in a position of power. So in that sense, it's an appropriate shot for Wonder Woman to show how powerful she is. But because she's wearing a skirt, it's understandable for some people to take issue with the camera angle there. Right after the lassoed guy mentions the bomb, we cut back to the briefcase right as it's being opened, and now we see the bomb. All the hostages react audibly, and the leader says, This is man's best hope. Down with the modern world. Back to the dark ages and the safety of holy fear. These are interesting lines. First off, there's the connection of hope. Superman is dead, so hope is lost. But for the hostages, Wonder Woman is just outside. So hope is not far, kind of like car keys. And hey, the man actually right now is using a key to activate the bomb. Additionally, the man suggests going back to the Dark Ages and the safety of holy fear. This suggests that the terrorist group rejects modern society and its values, even though they seem to be using modern technology and weapons. But overall, they want to return to prior times. And the earlier mention of sin, and now this reference to holy fear, points to a religious angle or religious motivation here. And religious imagery was heavily featured in Man of Steel and BVS, but not so much in Justice League other than this scene or the, this dialogue here. Even the resurrection scene with Superman was not as overtly religious as we expected. But here, the holy fear might be referring to the past when people were more God-fearing or more stringently religious. Fear in a religious context doesn't always mean being afraid, by the way. It can refer to notions of respect and reverence, which may be how these terrorists are thinking about it. In the Justice League universe, an interesting wrinkle is that there actually were gods on Earth in the past, with Zeus and Ares and others, according to Hippolytus' stories from Wonder Woman. The distant past also happened to be the time when Steppenwolf attempted to overthrow the tribes of Earth. And it would seem the world is in fact diving back into the Dark Ages as Steppenwolf approaches once again, a god that really should be feared. Steppenwolf's success would also mean an end of the modern world. So in that sense, Steppenwolf in the future here might actually be sort of like the terrorists, like 
biggest hopes and dreams. But speaking of gods, Wonder Woman busts powerfully into the room. It's a great entrance and is reminiscent of how she broke through the window in Veld back in her solo movie. Here, she quickly assesses the situation, and she dodges a bullet as we see the time bomb countdown from 13 seconds to 12 seconds, indicating that everything that happens after that moment takes less than 12 seconds. So seeing Wonder Woman move so quickly here, and watching bullets graze by her, it really emphasizes later how fast the Flash and Superman are, because even she can't keep up with them. But Diana quickly takes out two of the terrorists, and then when she looks at the bomb again, she gets hit in the back of the head with the butt of a assault rifle, which causes her to grunt. It sounds like a grunt of slight pain, though it could simply be a grunt of dismay or surprise. Either way, it seems that though she has great strength, she is not impervious to physical attacks. With only seconds to spare, Diana closes the briefcase, jumps up, and then throws the bomb up into the sky, where it explodes relatively harmlessly. Now, an earlier trailer for Justice League seemed to show the bomb going off inside the building, with the windows being blown out, a sort of British version of the Capitol explosion from Batman v Superman. This discrepancy from the trailer to the movie led to speculation that the reshoots and changes to Justice League included a shift away from an original version where Wonder Woman actually failed here and the kids all died. The online rumors were that they changed the scene to make it so that she successfully saves everyone. But these rumors were shot down by Shazam director David Sandberg, who said on Twitter that he talked to a crew member from Justice League who confirmed that the scene was shown in theaters basically as conceived by Zack Snyder and Chris Terrio. They may have changed the blast, but the plot beats of the scene were still the same, with it always intended that Wonder Woman would successfully thwart the terrorist attempt. Anyway, once the bombing has been thwarted, the lead terrorist arms himself with one of the dead men's assault rifles to prepare an onslaught on the hostages. Since he was unable to kill everyone with a big explosion that would be over quickly, as he puts it, he instead opts to shoot everyone to at least try to maximize the profile of this attack and to spark holy fear. We see the terror in the hostages, well acted by the extras, by the way, and there's an interesting view of the shooter's finger on the trigger showcasing that the safety is off. And then, all the tension that has been building throughout the entire scene, it's all released in a last-second save by Wonder Woman. She drops down with a great look of conviction on her face. There's some slow motion for a moment as she blocks the first bullet, and then it goes to full speed as the man starts firing bursts and panning his gun to the right. We once again see a display of Wonder Woman's speed as she blocks the stream of bullets spewing from the assault rifle. Our first glimpse of this type of speed from Wonder Woman was in her solo film, after her truth power had been unlocked. Although she had always been able to dodge and deflect bullets, it wasn't really until Ares pushed her over the edge in their final confrontation that she tapped into her true, full potential, empowered by her compassion for humanity. And although blocking and dodging shots from guns 100 years ago was impressive in her solo movie, it's even more amazing now to see her keeping up with this modern automatic rifle. And it's possible that she's developed her powers even further since her solo film, becoming both faster and stronger. Overall, this is a very exhilarating sequence to see Wonder Woman blocking bullets again, and the filmmakers pulled it off really well, where it looks good, even though it should be implausible. There are other movies that don't pull off this kind of rapid motion as well as it's pulled off here. I'm thinking of the fast climbing or running in the Twilight movie, for example, which does not look good. But here it looks solid, and it ends with a great arm pose in front of some little girls. 
It's great to see Diana literally as the protector of people and children. It positions her as a different sort of hero than Batman, who we saw more as someone who confronts a street-level criminal, whereas Wonder Woman is stopping a terror attack and saving innocents. The Wonder Woman musical theme with the driving bass rhythm is pumping as the man lowers his rifle and says, I don't believe it. What are you? This line indicates that the terrorist isn't familiar with her, and it matches with the idea that Wonder Woman has been absent from society until very recently. And it's natural, given Wonder Woman's desire for secrecy, as seen in Batman v Superman, that people, especially in modern times, don't really know who she is. And saying what in the question, what are you, rather than who, implies that she is not human, which of course she is not. Her response goes back to the first part of his line. He says, I don't believe it, and she says that what she is, is a believer. There are several thoughts that we have about this response. First of all, this marks a change from Batman v Superman. This change in attitude could have been spurred by Superman's selfless sacrifice, plus the inspiration of seeing how people across the world mourned the hero, where before she had believed the Age of Heroes would never come again. Speaking of which, she has also learned that more metahumans are out there, which might make her a believer now in the potential return of these heroes. Plus, there's also Batman, who not only did a bit of coaxing to persuade her to answer the call to arms, but also showed her that men can change and hence are never completely lost and without hope. He also took the step of retrieving and returning her photograph to her, which speaks well of him and also provides some closure and possibly some new inspiration for Wonder Woman, ready to open up a new chapter of her life. So she is obviously now out in public, saving the day and making a difference, and she is professing that she's a believer, which shows clear development since BVS. And being a believer also connects to the Wonder Woman film, as we mentioned earlier in the episode. In her solo film, belief was a key idea, and she is recommitting herself to that idea. So this can be interpreted as meaning that she still believes in humanity, even in a time of turmoil or trouble like we saw in the World Without Superman montage in the last scene. Even recognizing the good and the bad, she believes that mankind is, on the whole, worth saving and worth believing in. It can also be interpreted as her being a believer in love, rather than holy fear, or a believer in the potential of the future, rather than a return to the past or the dark ages. However you want to take it, Diana saying that she is a believer connects very directly with the final act, and even the final monologue in the Wonder Woman movie, where she talks about belief being important, and she says that she believes in love. Then scene four ends with her stepping forward into her patented bracelet blast, and the white light fills the screen and serves as a nice visual transition to the snowy sky of Iceland for scene five. Having her bracelet blast here in her opening scene also sets up the moment later when she's fighting Superman, and he grabs her arms before she can clash them. So that's our analysis of scene four in Justice League. It's a well-executed scene and a very exciting and memorable way to bring Diana into the movie. Although the events of the scene are not really connected to the main plot of the film, and the details of who these terrorists are does not really matter for anything later, the scene overall does connect to the general malaise and danger with Superman being gone, and the terrorists trying to bring things back to the Dark Ages is basically the idea that mankind as it is now isn't worth saving, but a theme in this movie and in the Justice League universe overall is that humanity, even with its flaws, actually is worth saving. Another connection is that the fear being created by these terrorists is only fueling the Earth's vulnerability, priming it for Steppenwolf's pending invasion, 
which not only involves parademons who are drawn to fear, but also the mother box's summoning of Steppenwolf is predicated upon turmoil and discord in humanity. So in this sense, these actions by the terrorists, even though Diana kind of saves the day, it's all contributing to the building of fear, which does lead indirectly to Steppenwolf stuff later. And the line about holy fear connects to the overarching theme about fear versus inspiration. This particular scene also establishes Diana's capabilities within the context of this particular movie, and it's a solid little action sequence. It's kind of like a quick comic book introduction uh, that happens in a story arc in comic books, where the writers give a character an action scene in issue one before the real story kind of takes off in issues two and three. And as we said, this scene shows how Diana is now operating in public in the modern world, which is a difference from how she was in both Wonder Woman and BVS. It shows that she's re-entering man's world, and even in the face of terrorism and the flaws of mankind, she is still a believer. And so maybe she'll be willing to join Bruce's team eventually. But even though she's out in public, she is not enough to fill the void left by Superman. And indeed, Bruce will throw this in her face later, that she doesn't fill the boots of Superman, and that she didn't do enough prior to BVS when she was sticking more to the shadows. Thinking about scene four in conjunction with scene two allows us to compare and contrast Wonder Woman and Batman, the two co-leads of the movie. Bruce was shown in his first scene trying to anticipate the next threat and prepare for it. Diana, on the other hand, is just reacting, in the nick of time, to a current threat. She is reacting rather than leading, which becomes part of her character arc later in the movie. Alright, in closing here, we want to share a follow-up comment to that scene too, which we just mentioned. Mr. Batfleck on Twitter pointed out how Batman's wrist display screening, which showed his tracker on the Parademon, is a gadget directly out of the Arkham City video game. That connection continues the tradition of Batman's crime fighting and detective style in BVS. Many fans have pointed out that his action scenes in BVS felt like they came straight out of the Arkham games. But we missed that little connection in scene two from Justice League here, primarily because I have not played those Arkham video games. Unfortunately, I'm just not up with the modern times on video games. For me, my gaming history is still predominantly King's Quest, Donkey Kong Country, Mario Kart, James Bond Goldeneye, and a little bit of Left 4 Dead. But it's great to hear all the stuff about the Arkham games, which sound like they're great on the whole. I've just never had an opportunity to play them. But that will do it for this episode. Next up, we're going to be having a flurry of episodes about Wonder Woman, and we'll be mixing up our format a little bit, so please stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening, and thanks as always to the Suicide Squadcast and to Man of Steel Answers.